Hi, I'm Tisha. I'm Juanita. And I'm Kim. And we're here with Off the Shelf, a casual talk podcast where we break down books about spirituality and self-growth that resonate with us. We're working in alignment with BubblesandBooks.com, a monthly subscription service that offers books and handmade bath and body items. In today's episode, we are reviewing The Enlightenment Project, How I Went From Depressed to Blessed and You Can Too by Jonathan Robinson. All right. And Jonathan Robinson was a guest on the 100th episode of Slightly Unmeditated. So that was really cool. He is a psychotherapist, best-selling author. He was featured on Oprah, CNN. He's interviewed over 100 spiritual leaders, including Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Wayne Dyer. And he also does his um, Awareness Explorers podcast, which is good. Mary, I heard Marianne Williamson on it and um, a couple other people we like. So, all right. Shall we begin? <laughs> Most certainly. Let's. All right. I listened to it. I do have the copy that he sent, um, and I did read through some of it, but I am actually kind of glad I have a paper. I still had to listen to kind of get it. So mm-hmm. where did you begin? I read, I read it from the copy that he sent, and I think I wanted to be part of that podcast with you for Slightly Unmeditated, but I didn't have the opportunity because I had some company um, visiting me, my nephew, and uh, so I missed out on that experience of actually meeting him. But one of my first notes about the book in general, The Enlightenment Project, was about how he's offering us the opportunity or sharing with us how to transform everyday problems into opportunities. There's always this spiritual opportunity to create more peace and wisdom and awakening. And he does it in a very practical way, a very grounded way, starting even with positive psychology and talking about Dr. Martin Seligman, who is sort of the father of positive psychology, studying uh, what is working in one's life or what people do that's good in one's life over abnormal psychology and when things are wrong. I I like this book because a lot of everything that was in here is all the stuff I'm I'm just happy to see summed in this way because I try to do that for like other people and and it's overwhelming. And so just to have like these bullet points of yeah, that makes sense. Or, oh, I should read that more or something like that. Um, that's why I really like this book. Yeah, I didn't expect you to keep going. Like I thought when I um, I listened to the um, Audible, I listened on Audible. And as I went through, I thought it was a lot of everything. Like he reviewed yeah. a lot of everything. And, but, and, and encouraged you to, and, and said that, Everything was not for everybody and that you could pick out what worked for you. And right. what really stood out was what an everyday kind of guy he is. It stood out in the way he wrote. So me reading the printed version, it stood out in the language he used in his own personal examples. I mean, he's just this ordinary guy, but he was the, the maybe extraordinary part was his interest in spirituality and then his some early connections and early seeking that he had done 
But I loved his examples were very practical that we could relate to. He talks about relationships and he talks about being shy and different things that I think anyone could relate to. Yeah. So he, I I thought this is funny. This is like early on, he was talking about facing your fears and it was a challenge. His friend gave him like a trip to Hawaii if you can get rejected by 10 girls. And I loved following along with that story because you could just the way he told it is like he was terrified of being rejected by these girls. He was like 17 or something. And he was like, but Hawaii, like, come on. So, so you could even hear in the progression of his story, like the first three girls, he was just like sweating and that the girls are like, do you need to go to the hospital? (laughs) Like he was physically (laughs) reactive to his fears. And then. Then he kind of switched it around and and enjoyed the process because he was so close to that trip to Hawaii. Then he was actually started getting surprised when the girls weren't rejecting him. They were like, sure, we'll we'll go on a date. And he's like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) I was just in it for the rejection. So it's like that little, you know, mind shift of of things like your perception of things. And and that was his biggest fear. And he faced it. And. I think there's a quote, and I didn't write it down exactly, but he was like, how, you know, how did I get over my fear of rejection? He said, I was 17, and it took 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great, great example that anyone could use to help them get over any obstacle. Yeah, he had some good, he had a lot of good stories in there that I, I like those real stories. Mm-hmm. And I like that he like, and had all these different questions to ask yourself throughout. You know, I, yeah. I wrote um, my first couple of questions was uh, for me to answer for myself. What exactly do I seek? And then he did note that this will change. So that was, um, I thought that was a good note because I think people get stuck on it. You know, I it should be this one thing. And it should be this one thing forever. And if I change that, I've failed. Yeah. Well, he even talked about myths of enlightenment, you know, like just because like you wake up one day and you see things a little bit differently doesn't mean the journey's over. You know, you're not like, oh, okay, I could sit back now mm-hmm. and, and just do nothing. And that that's absolutely not what happens. So you always have to be willing to change and never see it as a failure. I think that's one of the coolest parts about this spiritual foundation is that it's not a failure. It's a redirection, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If it didn't work out, it wasn't meant to, Mm -hmm. you know? Took me a minute to get there. (laughs) Yeah, life keeps giving you real examples to experiment with. And then that's maybe the biggest shift of all is just looking at it as that journey and the power of, I guess that isn't for me, when we're faced with a mm-hmm. adversity and we're trying to be resilient and we're finding the path forward is to, to not resist that that path wasn't for you, the one that's moving away from you. Yeah, that's that's also the crux of his story. So that rejection story about the girls is what sort of empowered him to now approach all of these spiritual leaders, just keep being persistent until... 
they either get sick of him trying to talk to him, which I think did happen, but I can't remember who the person was. It might have been Ram Dass, actually. He was like, I'm just tired of you writing me letters, <laughs> yes. so I will talk to you for an hour. And then didn't he get Teresa, um, but Mother he also- Teresa on the phone herself? And she's like, well, I was walking by, yeah. so I answered the phone. <laughs> yeah, the phone was ringing. <laughs> I answered it. Uh, he he was talking about, too, he, he traveled all the way to India to talk to a guru, only for the guru to tell him <laughs> that thank you is the mantra for <laughs> happiness. So he flew all the way to India, and the guru's like, just just say thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. and- yeah, and he was pissed at first, but he started doing it and was like, tell, told I've his been- wife, like, <laughs> I can't even, you know tell you i've been doing that at night like I, i'd be like amped up or something to before i go to sleep i'm like thank you pillow thank you sheets thank you blankets. yes <laughs> next thing i know it's morning i just wake up thankful, well, gratitude comes up in every one of these books and it's that powerful mm-hmm. but isn't it funny that our brain takes it for granted and thinks it's so simple that it must not be powerful. And in something simple can be powerful. He, he talks specifically about three good things technique, which I thought he had, he had a level that I hadn't heard before. And I want to share it, mm-hmm. which, you know, he continued on to say, okay, take three good things, write them down. So first you think about why they're good. Then you think about why you, how you contributed to the goodness. So see, that's a subtle difference too, because Mm -hmm. now you're kind of marinating, if you will. You're kind of marinating, you're building this feeling that you can kind of climb inside of. It's not just mm-hmm. like, yes, it, the, the thank yous are good. That's a gratitude list. But then maybe your contribution to them and that allows you to like kind of roll around in it, if you will, for a little bit and get that feeling, get yeah. those juices going. Right. Yeah. He even said that savor the good feelings that it produces for as long as that, that they're hanging around. Mm-hmm. And he did say, write it down. Too. That was the three. Yeah, it was think of something good that happened, then think about how it made you feel, right, and write all that down, Mm -hmm. and then how did you contribute or why it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't remember specifically what this is talking about, but I wrote this down. Um, he was talking about the workshops, like when people go to workshops, like to sort of expand their mind. And Kim and I were just having a conversation about workshops, which is why this is a little bit funnier to me. He was talking about how some people don't value workshops because their cynicism blocks it, right? So I find a lot of (laughs) blocks in cynicism, not for myself, but like other people. So it's nice to kind of have that validation of some people are just going to always be like that, you know, sort of not open to these things, no matter how excited you get. I've certainly <laughs> talked to some crowds where I could see someone looking at me with like just an icy stare and folded arms. I, I'm glad to say it's not the norm. So I can always bop around to more friendly faces. But it's, it's, I, 
but then I try when I'm actually looking out there, I try not to be cynical myself. Like, don't let that get in my head that what I'm saying isn't valuable. Then, you know, it could, because I shouldn't even assume that maybe that's what someone's thinking. Their nonverbal behavior looks cynical, but maybe it's not even cynical. Mm-hmm. That yeah. goes back to not making assumptions, right? right? Not making assumptions. <laughs> I th- one of the, the last chapters is about that. Uh, what I, I don't know if you got to that particular chapter. I have to look it up, but it's about the lessons I need to learn in that not everybody's open, you know, meet them where they're at kind of stuff. And that helped me remember those kind of, um, information. So I think I'm going to go back and reread that part too. But I was thinking like when you do do your workshops and things, it's a kind of a nice reminder to have. I have to remind myself that some people have a resting cynical face. Yes. Well, we can call it what it is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's it. I'm one of those people. The resting I'm, bitch face. I think. Well, they, and it might be noodling. Yeah. <laughs> no, it might be in and even if it is cynical, I do think too in my coaching work. You know, it might be someone who is analytical, and they're just what you're seeing is them really noodling on what you know, what one might be saying. So I just jest there. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the case with, with me. Um, but it's funny. Well, I was just in a meeting uh, earlier and um, we were going over an event that's coming up and there was, there's just like random crazy things being thrown into the mix. And the one... Uh, my one um, partner just couldn't stop laughing because she was laughing at my faces. I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> but as the one kept saying the one crazy thing after another, I guess my face was uh, saying it all. And she was just like, I can't with Juanita's face. <laughs> no poker face for you, Juanita, huh? <laughs> How timely for this oh, no. conversation then. So. <laughs> well you know that stuck out this is jumping like way to the end but he was talking about being of service right like being genuine genuinely of service and how sometimes people's egos get in the way like i am doing all this volunteer work and it's so whatever i think his example was he was Mm -hmm. teaching meditation at a prison and he and he, there was a session where one of the prisoners was like, um, when are you going to stop telling us about your life and start doing meditation? And he realized like, oh, like he had to take a step back. And I think he actually got out of that work because it was more about him in his head and his ego than it was about what he was actually serving people. So he switched jobs to do a big brothers, big sisters kind of thing. But he had brought up like, you know, if you're trying to help someone, but you give, you know, money to a homeless person, but you do it with a face of disgust, like that's not helping anyone. You know, it's about really mm-hmm. being kind all over and doing things for the right reason. So that's another way like your facial expressions kind of come into play. I, I was just thinking, too, is it comes up in coaching a lot. It's like that resentful. Yes. So you can we can get out of our head by just saying, I'm doing something for service purposes, instead of finding where the ego tries to connect it to a reward. So in some ways, that might be, you know, a good exercise as well. 
Yeah. He even said that too. Um, enlightenment is a constant letting go of endless obstacles. There's no prize though. There's no prize at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the prize is the journey, right? I kind of heard, heard that. And the peace, I guess, mm-hmm. the, the actual peace. when you find inner peace. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, we're kind of hopping around, which is yeah. cool because it all connects. But I made a note that was more towards the um, beginning of the book where it says, um, what uh, I I noted what the spiritual journey is about. And I said, we're here to find the peace. I didn't say he said, and I noted (laughs) we're here to find the peace and love inside ourselves. And once we're in touch with that, um, then we with inner peace, go out and serve in whatever way calls you. Right. And then I wanted to make sure that we um, touched on the, um, the radio, um, the God frequency that he talked about. I thought yeah. that was good. So Abraham Hicks talks about that, like tuning in, mm-hmm. tuning in, except his, I think I talked this, uh, talked with him about this on the podcast too, where he was just talking about two dials. You know, Abraham talks about it a little bit more broadly, mm-hmm. but either you're in the zone or you're not Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's like two channels you Mm got to pick which one do you want to be in and then that's where you're tuning in to the spectrum of god to the frequency of god and to uh all that it entails Mm -hmm. and on that note really the the when he he does have a chapter on meditation and i specifically loved the quote he even started with the quieter you become the more you are able to hear, which is a roomy quote. And it just reminds me that when the world is noisy and when we get confused or overwhelmed, which is constant these days, uh, to just get, we can get quiet, tune into that frequency, um, get quiet, hear our inner guidance, our inner uh, connection to source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way he describes it is, um, I have your body is a radio and then um, God is the frequency of life or the entire spectrum of stations and how we tend to tune in to um, certain stations. But when we grow, we can expand to new stations. Um, But at the same time, we can look at our... (laughs) We can look, I'm laughing at my notes, sorry. <laughs> we can <laughs> go back and still look at those uh, stations that we're used to in a new light. I have that too. Um, talk, I like the part too about being able to tune out the static, like mm-hmm. when you really consider it as a radio thing. Now, in the age of, you know, serious radio where everything's crystal clear, I cannot go back to regular <laughs> free radio without having like some kind of aneurysm because where we are, we don't have great reception to like local stations, but yet my whole life, it was perfectly fine. You know, mm-hmm. never bothered me before. Yeah. Because that's what we knew. Yeah. 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 Religion. He does talk about religion, which I thought is interesting in the way he did it, which was he listed out some of the perspectives of different religions with the concept of the wheel 
and that God's in the center and think of all those religious traditions as the spokes all leading to the same point. And I particularly liked that image he created mm-hmm. and how he summarized, really just summarizing the perspectives. Um, I didn't note them down in, in I, my notes here. I did, but actually. I appreciated that. You did? Yeah, okay, actually. so would you want to share? Yeah, that? it was really fascinating. First, I want to say that not only – I believe he was born and brought up Jewish, mm-hmm. but he also had – he served some stints in different religions, mm-hmm. which – One of them was at the suggestion of his spiritual teacher, who he lived with for 26 years in this community. And I think that was Christianity. It was. Yes. For a year or something he had to do. Mm -hmm. And then he's kind of dabbled in all the others. Now, I haven't pre-read my notes, so just give me a minute. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, the concept of Hinduism basically offers many methods for distinctive types of people to connect to a higher power um again these are not all word word for word buddhism makes no definitive statement of whether there is a god or not instead it focuses on beliefs and practices methodical and it takes a methodical and logical approach to enlightenment i didn't know that and i thought that was very interesting because they have is it agnostics yes yes uh, Judaism emphasizes harmonious existence by following laws. Christianity, Jesus didn't just preach a message of love, but he lived it. And then that's what made people say that he was God in human form. Islam, the Quran is similar to the Old and New Testament. The Muslims consider it to be God speaking directly to them. The main points is fear and gratitude. In the face of the infinite, we are called to surrender and commit to obey laws. And that's the, that's all I have written down. Oh, actually in Islam, the, the pillars of the religion, they're all interwoven into their lives all the time. Mm-hmm. Faith, prayer, charity, fasting, and pilgrimage. But I, he talked about that, how they're called to pray five times a day, mm-hmm. how they all need to keep coming together to be like connected. It was, it was really was fascinating. Yeah. My, um, my, uh, stepdad practiced the Muslim faith and he also, um, made the pil- pilgrimage to Mecca. Ah, uh, so mm-hmm. is it a requirement to do a pilgrimage? It is a goal that all Muslims Okay. You know, try in, in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. There's a quote he opened with, and I don't want to miss it. It says, if you, it, this is not from Jonathan. This is from Garrison Keeler. If you believe that sitting in church makes you a Christian, you must also believe that sitting in a garage makes you a car. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I like that one too. That's a great way to look at it. And Jonathan said, too, if you let go of the dogma, if you let go of like the specifics and the rituals, it is interesting to look at all those different angles, those different ways. I did find some of my notes. It's like to recap what Tisha said, Christianity is like the 
love like Jesus or the love of Jesus and, and Hindu, it might be a guru, you know, find a guru and Buddhism, life is suffering, but we can overcome it. And, and Judaism is a reverence for the study of, you know, the, the studies of Mm -hmm. God. And then Islam, that can, remembering to connect with God throughout the day and having those times where you stop and you, um, show prayer. So, yeah, it's it if you're spiritually inclined, it's interesting to look at all of those things as the the language that one might come into the to God. It's it's a pathway or uh what makes sense to different groups of people or what's been passed down. Yeah, and, and having the spiritual foundation has helped me see that so clearly. Like their goals were all the same essentially. They all just come about it in a different way but yet it's what other people allow to make them so separate Mm -hmm. so so far off the the mark of what we're all trying to do in the first place i heard something that i really appreciated and liked uh last week on the radio um what were they discussing oh they were discussing um marriage and how is there a big difference between men wanting or not wanting to get married and women. And um, someone called in and talked about the covenant of, of marriage. And, you know, that's what God's purpose was for us. And he's like, you know, the only way you can be a good person is if you follow um, the ways of Jesus Christ. And the radio host said, oh, you know, I don't, I'm a Christian, but I don't agree with that because that would mean that you were excluding a whole heck of a lot of people, you know? And I was like, good for him. That, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like as humans, we interpret things a little too human-like and, and to know the mind of God. In fact, even in Taoism, which Jonathan didn't mention though, it's like, it's, it's uh, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. Like it's, it's beyond words. Mm -hmm. It's beyond our comprehension. So, and actually dovetailing with that into relationships, he talks quite a bit about relationships. And I thought his, his, material on understanding being open to our shortcomings and finding our blind spots i thought was pretty intriguing yeah i like he turned he he turned a phrase for inner potholes right i thought that was really a a great way to look at it when you're driving down the road and all is smooth until so i think he actually has written at least one book about relationships if not more than that that are bestsellers because he i think that's a sort of a passion topic for him. So you'd have to look up some of those. Mm -hmm. He offered a simple exercise that would curl your hair. (laughs) It's that he, that would be so simple and so hard to do, which is really just asking your partner in a relationship, like, what are your shortcomings? And I thought, who does that? Like crazy mind-blowing to just ask your significant other or the person you're in the relationship with, your spouse, whatever, say, what are my shortcomings? Yeah. And be open to receiving that. He did a lot of talking about what that means to be open to receiving that too. Yeah. He, he, he it, it said, what blind spots or difficulties do I bring to my relationship for my um, spiritual growth? 
and noted to um, do not be defensive and that some of what your spouse might um, identify could be a reflection of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He tells a lot of his own like laundry stories <laughs> about what what he what mistakes he felt he's made in his relationships, but then how he turned that around. Like, I'll be the first to admit this was me, you know, mm-hmm. but this is where I've this is how I've grown through that. When you see that level of humility, it's empowering that without defensiveness. Did did anybody note the I don't know if I noted this right. The Lester, was it Lester Love Project? Yes. Or was it Lester? Was it Lester? I think I it did. was Lester, but yes. <laughs> Lester that Love. was the the story about the guy who had a heart attack. Lester Love Method? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, so he had a heart attack and he was about to die, right? Was that the story? Well, that part, I in my notes, <laughs> it sounds like we're all a little rusty, but um, it said, list those you love. And then take time to feel that love and appreciation and then bask in that as a form of meditating that he wanted more prescriptive, not just like, let me get still and let me come back from thoughts and focus on my breath. He's like, I want something a little more literal to focus on. And and so I might be mixing two things up here, but. No, that's what I have listed too. List of everyone ever loved, even someone you don't currently have love for you think of what you what you loved about them even if it's in the past and bask yeah, he, in it. i think he came mm-hmm. up yeah he came up with like a hundred people by the time his list was done of anyone and so he started to feel that love every day and then within three months he started feeling healthy again he was supposed to die like within a few days of his oh, heart attack that's it and then so that was connected mm-hmm. to the heart attack guy. So he created also the Sedona method, which we talk about later, which comes up later in the book. But he he was totally healthy within three months, and then he went on to live 40 more years, right? Wow. Yeah. Like, didn't Joe Dispenza rebuild his spine, right? Like, that was him. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of these mastering a mindset for shifting away from the ego's constructs and maybe resistance or some negativity is very, has very powerful effects on our body. Right. And the Sedona method, should we just maybe dovetail with that as a method too? Um, of that was about letting go and, Basically, welcoming in negative emotions, like, you know, like a friend, come on in, What? get curious about it, right? Ha- welcome those negative emotions, you start to feel it, instead of, you know, getting antsy or shutting it down or going and distracting yourself, welcome it in. Um, understand that there's resistance. So you you want to welcome that in too, and, and you can see your own resistance against something, your, maybe your own discomfort. Then has this negative emotion come from wanting to control, get approval, or have safety and security? So when then we're getting curious is, I, am I having a negative emotion right now? Because one, I want to control things, or I want someone's approval that I'm not getting, or I want safety and security. So that's like refining it. Then could I then ask yourself, okay, knowing that, can I let go? Can I let go of that? Of wanting or yes. lacking. 
Yeah. Like, can I let go of wanting control? Can I let go of lacking security? I love how you know when I can't read my own handwriting and you help me with that sentence. (laughs) Thank you. That's it exactly. Can I let go of wanting this, you know, whatever we're defining? And then can I let go some more? is like the next level. Can I even let go some more? And then um, welcome the opposite energy into the body. So now you've, you've defined it, you've gotten more specific, you've decided that you're you know, challenging yourself to let go more, and then actually welcoming the other feelings into the body. Yeah. So if you're angry, you welcome Mm -hmm. calm. If you're insecure, you welcome self-love. And actually the step before about, you know, can you let go even more? He even did a little visual of, can you just open the window and let the rest of whatever's there just just go out the window. So I love that visual because then you could just like slam the window closed again, like stay yes. out, right? But it's those little mind, yeah, those little mind things. Can you imagine what the world would be like if if I said something that maybe you took offense to or you felt triggered by where everybody just paused for like three seconds and was like, why am I feeling yeah. this way? Can you imagine <laughs> what the world would be like if we we all did a little pause, open the window thing? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, that would be cool. That leads yeah, right into the ego defenders. Because what you described, Tisha, is we could all do that if we didn't get our ego involved. Like we get defensive and we come right back defending ourselves. And it's interesting because the ego defenders he talks about, when he talks about ego, and we've talked a lot about ego in the other books that we have. It's just that part of our thinking brain. It's like a sense of self. And I really liked his list of how we defend ourselves, even if it's not an argument with another person, it's just the you maybe not wanting to do something right. This is this is what we do. So he's describing it, we rationalize, ah, uh, you know, I shouldn't have to do that. Anyway, we deny maybe like that doesn't need doing. Uh, we get vague in general, so that maybe we don't have to do something. Or we get lost in self-loathing. This one was really interesting and I could totally see how I could, you know, we potentially do that. Like, oh, and I'm screwing all this up. You know, that inner critic comes in. Next thing you know, you've swirled up self-loathing enough that you have to move away from whatever it is that you have to do. Tricky ego, right? Sneaky ego doing that. And then also, or needing an immediate fix. Oh you know, try and fix this immediately, wanting an immediate fix, or blaming others. Those were some ego defenders, like six of them. So I think it was, I didn't write, oh, yes, I did write down the ego defenders. That's what blocks you from making changes. I love this other visual. So besides the Sedona method, he was talking about the love method. And he was talking about thinking about our different selves, right? Um, Like, you know, the anxious self or the control freak self. Those are basically like your sub egos. So when something goes down, something goes wrong, instead of being like, I'm freaking out right now, you can sort of look at yourself and be like, there's a part of me, like, that's my freak out self that's happening, right? It's not my Mm. whole self. And then that's where you sort of just separate yourself from feeling shame or whatever as a whole person, but 
and then send extra love to that part of yourself that maybe feels bad because they screwed up or said the wrong thing or whatever the thing was. Yeah. In coaching, I'll often say a shortcut to that is to say, yeah, what part of me is offended by that? Something's upsetting you. You know, it, and it is, it's recognizing it's a part of you. It's not all of you. You are not the stress that you're feeling. You're experiencing stress and you can get, and then you might find that it's a part of yourself that's always feeling irritated about such and such, and you can give it like a name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in a Jeff Warren fashion, he ended it by saying like, where you, where you could recognize that self, say hi to it. Like, Hello, warrior. <laughs> Hello, anxious <laughs> self. You know, and sort of that's where you send your love and gratitude. Instead of trying to love your whole self at one time, you kind of see it as a little you. Like, here you go. Here's my heart. You know, here's a nice card. Right. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever it is. As a little self. Yeah. I like that. And and they often call the ego the small self, too. So it, it's very fitting. Is like seeing that part of you that's always maybe being defensive. There's my defensive self. I just assumed that that person was, you know, saying I did something wrong, but they really weren't. And, and if we see that we could pause and say, ah, you know, you can, you can comfort that less secure part of yourself. And Juanita's favorite, don't take anything personal. So if you're already coming in armed with that knowledge, you know, things might go down a little bit easier. That was, mm-hmm. I think this whole chapter, this whole part, there's three parts of the book. This isn't part two of the book. And he was talking about day-to-day spirituality and how a lot of times people just car- compartmentalize their spirituality to certain times or like events of the day. And that's what I've really had the uh, opportunity to kind of do this all the time, right? Like, well, this happened. How do I feel about it? I'm not caught up in a whole bunch of other people where I'm constantly distracted, which sometimes to my own detriment. <laughs> but at the same token, I realize like what a blessing it is to be able to have all of this information, kind of practice it. And then when I, I'm turned loose into society, I'm always like, oh, approaching people who probably feel insecurities like I do, or maybe having an off day and it's not anything to do with me, but it just happens to land on me. So like, that is what I think he's trying to um, get across in this whole book. Like it's, it's your every minute of the day. It's not like when you sit down and meditate, are you only spiritual, or, Mm -hmm. you know, enlightened or whatever. And so I think that I wanted to point that out before I forgot to mention that's a great insight. Mm -hmm as to yeah, how you really move this into your life is what he's saying is, yeah, you start looking through this kind of a lens at life and it's the journey is greater and you're more curious and learning and growing. It's more enjoyable. Yeah. (laughs) He also, he talked about in your, in your journey of um, spiritual awakening, um, how helpful it is to know exactly what you want to learn and how that makes it possible to find the best teachers and that um, those teachers do, do not have to be like a, you know, guru from India. Like you can be, you, you should be open to learning from people, books, experiences. Um, and when you're open, the best teachers just happen to appear in your life. Oh, always. Yeah. Always. How many times have we said that even 
in our episodes, you know, where we're like, oh, I needed to hear this right this very second. You know, mm-hmm. Kim, Kim just did this to me yesterday. She said something that I was finding hard to believe. And then she said, and I'm like, that must have channeled right through you because <laughs> someone else has been trying to tell me this all day and I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love yeah. it when that happens? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when he was, he was talking about um, your, sh- when you're shifting, when you're shifting in your consciousness about um, four locations, your four locations, your, your types of awakenings. Did you guys um, note that? I noted about that. Well, first of all, I noted that he talked about um, the fundamental well-being is the experience that basically everything is okay, life is good, and that you have a feeling of peace that is always available. And that as you progress on your spiritual journey, that you're more likely to be able to get there. And then I did, I did note, I did note the four categories, the four locations or the, um, the types of awakenings. Did anybody else talk about? Okay. So that, that was in Dr. Jeffrey Martin's book. I think it was called The Finders. Um, I talked with him about this on the, um, on the uh, podcast. I don't remember if I, I only wrote down the two I have. I feel like I'm a strong two and I, I hover over a mid-range three. <laughs> that part I don't remember. That part I don't remember. It was very oh. early in the book, like chapter two. Oh, okay. I did read it over a span of a couple months, the first part and second part. So, Well, the first location is that um, is the earliest. And it, it's just that you, the sign that you're there is that you just all, you have a sense that all is well. And then two is that your negative emotions become less frequent. Three is that you're um, free from psychological higher emotions. And four, um, complete emerging in present moments, in the present moment. Right. So that's what being able to do what Eckhart Tolle says all the Mm -hmm. time, but, but doing it all the time, right? So we talked about that where he had like about three months of this blissful blissed out period and what happened was his wife is like are you gonna earn some money (laughs) are you gonna like take care of the house because he was just living in the bliss and so I think that's where he had to sort of kind of come back down and I believe he even said and now he can kind of go from one location to the other to the other you know depending on the so he's aware of the locations and Mm -hmm. now he knows how to get to each one yeah yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I like that. I think that was the that was the um oh, I think he's a psychologist. I can't remember the Jeffrey M- Martin. Oh, now I'm probably saying it wrong. The the uh Jeffrey Martin. Yeah. So that's who he based a lot of his like he based a lot of his like statistics off of Dr. Martin's research. Right. Yes. For the book. Yeah. Anything else that piqued your so at towards the end of the book he talks about using spirituality to sort of find the your purpose and your job how to kind of you know go about doing that I know he also talked about like the use of certain medications for spiritual enlightenment how they worked I've been hearing that more and more I'm I'm. I have to say I'm 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 curious. So he explains it. He actually did his thesis paper on um 
MDMA, MDMA for the treatment of PTSD and, and had great mm-hmm. success with it right up until the, when the government declared it to be illegal and he was no longer able to keep it in, keep it as part of his practice. Um, but he does have extensive experience personally and as a, as a psychotherapist to be able to do these things. So that that's the microdosing, right? Is that the right terminology for that? It's like that's something different, but oh. it's along the same path. He talks about microdosing also and had some recommendations. He talked about ayahuasca. Now I've seen a lot of the videos about the ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's anything ever that I would be interested in like altering to get there. Um, because even without it, I've <laughs> had some really weird experiences. So I'd be like, I don't know. You know what I always think when I hear that? Because I agree with you. I feel like I, I see that floated around, but it's nothing that would interest me. And I think, but what I like is the perspective that I think that the reason why some people are looking into that is what it actually does is if something can tame the ego, then we're more open to this spiritual side of us, this beingness of us. So I like to just use that philosophy instead of actually needing any medicine. It's this philosophy. If you can recognize your ego and you kind of know which is the voice of your being and which is the voice of your ego, you can tame it yourself. You are the tamer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in other people's shoes. So I don't understand how their, from their perspective either. Right? right. So if that's what they need to feel that sort of openness or whatever, more power to you. Right. It's just not something that I probably would ever be interested in doing. Uh, mostly being a control freak of I need, <laughs> need to know what I'm doing, where I am and why I'm doing it. So, you know, But it was interesting if you haven't read the chapter, at least like just go through and hear what he says about it. It's fascinating. He also talked about the myths of enlightenment. Now I didn't write any of these down, but I remember paying attention. He, he brought up Kumare, our, me and Kim's favorite documentary. I've actually watched it like three times. That was so interesting. Yeah. So he was busting some myths, like just because you're enlightened you know, you're awakened doesn't mean you're automatically getting like superpower or just because of this or about people thinking it actually, I was thinking of my own potholes through the whole chapter, <laughs> being honest, um, people being like, you're, oh, I'm so much better because I believe all this stuff and I understand how it works and you're not, or, you know, spiritually superior. Ego. Right. Spiritual superiority. Like, oh, I've studied this and I've learned this and now I'm somehow better. That's the ego sneaking back in again. (laughs) So it, it, right. To make some kind of leveling or some comparison and all of that. I, I do think that that's, um, can be a pothole for people. And being enlightened doesn't mean you don't ever make mistakes ever again. One of the things he mentioned in the, in slightly unmeditated was how, I asked if if there was a hero moment, like a don't meet your hero moment. And he had met like a famous guru who ended up being accused of uh, molesting children. So, you know, a lot of these people become 
on this, even, I mean, we see it across all religions, like preachers and priests and, you know, we see it. I just watched the Tammy Bay, Tammy yeah. Faye Baker through the eyes of Tammy Faye Baker. It was actually a very interesting uh, little show, but that's what happens. They, they, you know, people start to think they're above something like the law or <laughs> above, you know, other people so that they have the power to do this. And, and that's just the reality. You know, even Kim, I've been complaining about, a lot of the the over commercialized stuff sometimes f- freaks me out, right? Because mm-hmm. then people start to sort of take it for granted that these things aren't real, and people are just trying to make money. And I had I told a stranger not long ago, a person I didn't know, we were talking about, oh well, what do you do? Well, I have a podcast, you know, about spirituality, and they're like, oh, sounds like a good way to make a book. <laughs> And I was like, oh, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. only knew. But. Right. I was like, not only are you being sarcastic <laughs> to me, or criticizing some something that I'm doing, but then on top of it, you don't even know to do this it is not some big moneymaker. Like, what myth did he have in his mind? Right. And it was a, like a self-proclaimed spiritual person. And I immediately felt that, oh, well, he thinks he's better his spirituality is better than mine or he's more advanced or what, you know, and he didn't even ask what the name of the podcast was <laughs> or more pure, right? Like whatever he was doing. Okay. Interesting. So I get, yeah. that's just such a great reminder that we, we don't have to judge like that. Right. That is the ego. We don't have to judge other people and measure other people in that way. Yeah. And we're all kind of going through the same human experience, but it's just fascinating how many people don't recognize that in other people, you know, mm-hmm. like you're allowed to have, I know we had something about a relationship. Oh, it was the lack of vulnerability is the thing that causes the most problems in relationships. I believe it was. Oh, I'm glad you said that because that, that was the part I did write down communication and he had two questions um, or state a statement and a question. Uh, I'm sorry, two statements. <laughs> I'm going to get this straight at some point. Right now I'm feeling like blank. And then what I would really like is blank. This is a huge miscommunication in relationships often because it is vulnerable to say it like that. Right now I'm feeling like such and such. And what I would really like is blank. Our instinct is to just be mad at the person for not reading our mind or, you know, be mad at someone for mm-hmm. not meeting our need. It's, it's a, it's a more comfortable go-to. It's bad communication. It usually leads us to a bad place. Be- but what holds us back is because it's too vulnerable to just say, Hey, I'm feeling hurt. I kind of heard you say this. I'm feeling hurt. But what I'd really like is for you to blank, you know, to not, hurt my, you know, not say that about yeah. my podcast. Th- those types of things is like, as human beings, we don't do that. We aren't that overt because it's too vulnerable. And so it stands in the way. Yeah. He was also talking about like with your potholes, one of the things he was talking about was uh, being impatient and talking over people or finishing their sentence. And he did this like actually quite a long example of it where he was like the person's talking and he was he was saying out loud, like the inner narration in your head, like, 
hurry up and finish. I got stuff to do. And it was well done the way he did it because it's so true. And I think so many people can resonate with that feeling of impatience. I know we all cut each other off. I'm very guilty of it. And I always feel it's because I'm going to forget what I'm going to say right away. He said in like those kind of <laughs> moments is when you ask yourself, what are my reasons for not being fully present right now? And that was really powerful. He did he did an example, like he was in the grocery store, he had to be somewhere, the lady ahead of him was using like 7 million coupons, and he was just like over it. And that's where he had to do that brief talking to himself, why am I impatient? Well, because you didn't plan properly, and now you're going to be late for your meeting or, you know, and taking accountability mm -hmm. for those reasons why you're rushing somebody else or just getting angry for no reason at all. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Eckhart totally talks about that in, 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 and uses that same example of being in traffic or being in, in the line and then taking um, the moment to just be present instead of thinking, you know, Oh, this line is so long. Why are they so slow? You know. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like, why did I wait to the last minute to stop at the grocery store when anything could happen? No, I. I mean, yeah, that too. But sometimes I just feel myself being impatient in general. That I don't have to be late, long lines, or irritated. Right. Well, one of the things too, <laughs> you can watch the ego, watch our minds get all weirded out about it. And that's interesting, too, because that's using curiosity and that's being mindful. Like, wow, look at my mind freaking out because I'm standing in a line for a few minutes. And like, why does it think it's, mm -hmm. I'm so important? I got to get out here. I'm so important. I'm so busy. I'm so we can not like mocking ourselves, but like <laughs> mocking a part of ourselves. We can kind of get clear about what it is and again that's the two selves your ego's like oh man we don't have time for this we got stuff to do and then you know your being is like i'm just here for the experience the line is what it is and i'm mm -hmm. gonna get where i'm going and right. nine times out of ten yeah or 99 times out of 100 i'm gonna get where i'm <laughs> going and and it all works out absolutely Yep. So I thought, I know he said a couple times in the book that he's not like super woo. He's not, he's like, I'm not even woo woo. <laughs> and then he would still say some things that were kind of woo woo. So if you get a chance to, to make sure you read the one about the miracles, grace miracles, chapter 13, grace miracles and motivation. He had a, a, a lot of really cool stories and I love, you know, synchronicities and stuff, but he had one story that stuck out where he said, he said out loud, like, okay, if I'm meant to go to India, he was planning to go to India for something. If I'm meant to go within a week, I need a clear sign. So I do this all the time. And some people I think may think it's strange, but this is what Regis and I do on our YouTube too. And he actually had an experience where he didn't hear anything. He didn't hear anything. And then it was like almost the day before that he was, you know, he would have had a plan to leave or whatever. So, and he heard this guy on TV say, yeah, you need to go to India. And then he even the, I forget, I think it was like a guru or something on TV. And he's like, I don't know. I'm just being called to say, Jonathan, you need to go to India. Can you imagine watching television and someone be like, hey, <laughs> <Yeah>. Juanita, you <laughs> need to. So the other day, Kim doesn't know this, but we were texting back and forth and we were talking about synchronicities that were happening. And right at the last time she texted me, a commercial came on for an insurance company and there was a guy standing on the street and it said, 
it had he was holding a sign that said this is your sign and it said oh, sometimes the universe is trying to talk to you <laughs> and i was like i can't even tell her this because she's not gonna believe me. <laughs> this is your sign and you you literally got a sign <laughs> i looked over sign. the tv and the guy's just smiling and it says this is your sign and i'm like kim's i kim's gonna be done with me she's never gonna do this but this is literally how it works and i thought I just wondered, like, if you guys ever, I think you both believe it is possible. I was just curious if you ever do that in your life, too. I do. Sometimes, though, the vulnerability of it, I will admit, my ego <laughs> holds me back from being specific and saying, give me a sign, like what the books talk about doing all the time, be very specific and yeah. then watch for it to come. I have an ego defender that... Uh won't let me do that. Right. So, but one thing I've noticed is I have this habit of it. If there's like a burst of inspiration or a little spark, or maybe I've said something, I find that I do get a sign. It's usually like, um, numbers or someone says something to me or it, it's a little like nod i suppose it's it's it uh so it comes it comes in a way and then and then i think to myself what is making me look at that as a sign of affirmation so i feel like that's also the sign in and of itself like why why am i looking at the, the one that i've shared with you tisha in the past and maybe not with Juanita, is you know my son my my son that we lost, his birthday's October 20th. So when I have this habit of looking at the clock and it's 1020 and that a lot. Mm -hmm. I heard you say that. Before, yeah. yeah. So I have, I have shared that before. It must be on the podcast. And I have a way of having that pop up or my phone flash and catch my attention. And I think about what I was doing or thinking about during that time. And there seems to be some synchronicity around that that I appreciate. Yeah, I was I was going to share after we were done recording, but since we're talking about it, first of all, yes, I've had that my whole life. You know, I will call people and they'll, I was just talking about you or, you know, I was just about to call you, you know, kind of thing. And um, I know I have guardian angels because multiple times throughout my life, I've had narrow misses where, I would have been dead, actually, if something just didn't turn me around at an exact moment. And, you know, a lot of times I'm like, I know, I'm like, I talk to my guardian angel, like, thank you so much. I know you have to work hard <laughs> because I'm always in some weird situation, but I appreciate you. <laughs> and I've been seeing um, ones all over the place. Like, it's ridiculous. It is to the point of ridiculousness at this point. Why I've, I'm always seeing what, so I even thought like, Tisha, you have to do my cards again because what is the message oh. <laughs> that I'm supposed to be getting? Because it's just like, I look at my phone, I look at the computer, I look at the TV, like there's ones, always ones all around me, 11, 11, 1, 11, you know, just did you, you just look always. them up, like look up you know, one, one, one. Yeah. I've, lo I've looked at That's mm -hmm. fun. Yep. I've looked it up before. It's, I just think it's so much more fun to like live in that. It, what's frustrating it is when they fun. just stop talking to you and then, uh, <laughs> and then you're like, <laughs> and texting you feel Kim, like uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And when in doubt, too, it's just like a, a shortcut is it, it's a it's a message that you're absolutely okay, right? When in mm-hmm. doubt, it's literally just the generic message is you're doing okay. And I just saw I mm-hmm. just saw one hour, one minute. And 11 uh-huh. seconds when I said that. See? Oh, my God. I you, <laughs> earlier, you can see our clock. <laughs> yeah. Earlier when you were talking, it was 57.57. And I'm like, I got to remember what she said right now because it's probably important. <laughs> I'm telling you. But that if you look up um, the angel numbers in one, that's basically what it's saying the message is that your angels are telling you you're on the right path, mm-hmm. that you're okay. So when I see it, that's what I think that's why i tell myself like you know everything is okay yeah well that's why that's we're talking about like so even compartmentalizing like only sometimes like when you see 11 11 because you want to right like i'm just was wondering like do you do it all the time like oh we do it all the time like oh it's five 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 it's this it's this <laughs> Oh, I've yeah. got my mom. It's, it's so fun. So she she and I'll text us now, or we'll notice it. And then when we were driving back from Florida, we we were even noticing like how many miles were left in the gas tank. It was like the two two twos were catching our attention, and the three three threes of the time and the <laughs> mileage to go. We were having a blast. It was a really long drive back from three days of driving <laughs> from Florida, and I have to say. It is a lot of fun. So, you know, earlier we were just kind of joking about cynics, but like even a cynic out there, honestly, you raise your vibration, even if you're just doing that from fun. And the thing is, the cynic out there, it's like, it's not harmful. When, when you just feel like validated or good or supported, whatever, whatever it is, or then you can share that with a friend. And now we all speak that language. So if Mm -hmm. we see synchronicities, we share it with each other. It's like, even the cynic can say, oh, it might not mean what you think it means. And then it's like, well, one, how do they know? But also it, it, that's not to discount that it's doing something. It's raising our happiness level. And and sometimes I'm still the cynic, like, Stuff will happen, mm-hmm. a number will come up, and I'll be like, that's not possible. That's not possible. Like, why am I doing this? So, <laughs> sure yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's All right. right. Well, any other enlightened, uh, enlightened, enlightenment that you'd like to share about the enlightenment project? It, I think that this was a very good guide to a spiritual path and questions to um, ask yourself along the way and, and, and what to be open yeah. to. Yeah. Kim. <laughs> yeah. I like, I liked it. And I thought he was so grounded and spiritual at the same time that those, pr- all those practical examples of him living as an ordinary guy, it was great because it just reminded you he's speaking as a human being living this experience and being more in tune to the spiritual journey. But he's married and he still has relationship problems and he's still and you know, to, I think we had said that before, but worth repeating. And he's also been in contact with all of these great leaders that may be so intimidating or scary to people. But yet he's always translating that the message from them is all the same. And it's all he even talks about how surprised he is sometimes, you know, in 
the simplicity of a lot of like the Dalai Lama was just like a little kid, you know? So we get so freaked out and so serious about things when we're supposed to just be open and joyful and talking about our synchronicities with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Well, this has been fun. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for joining me. That brings us to the conclusion of our episode. We appreciate you listening. If you have any questions about our interpretation of the Enlightenment Project, please reach out at goodvibes at slightlyunmeditated.com. And until we see you next month, I'm Tisha. I'm Juanita. And I'm Kim. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.